Welcome to another edition of the Chad and Cheese Cult Brand Series, which focuses on building a bridge between big brand, marketing, and talent acquisition. In this episode, we ask, how do brand people see the world? Luckily, friend of the show, Chris Nealon, CEO and co-founder of Colt Collective, joins the discussion. Chris has worked directly with Colt brands like Zappos, Airbnb, and Harley-Davidson, just to name a few. And he gives insights that TA and employment brand professionals really want. And the hard, straightforward discussion we really need. Big applause goes to Symphony Talent in pulling together an amazing transform event during a crisis. Plus, 30 minutes before Joel and I virtually stepped into the Transform green room, a large chunk of the Midwest experienced an internet outage. No shit. COVID, now this. Not to fear because the Symphony team found a way to make this discussion happen. Needless to say, the quality isn't amazing, but the conversation with Chris Nealon is. Enjoy while you hear the birds chirping from my sunny porch in Indiana. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. That's right, kids. Raise those drinks, baby. That's right. Okay, so before we get moving here, I want to check the pulse of I want to check the pulse of the crowd. Let's go ahead and let's run a poll because everybody loves polls. Run a poll for me. Let's go. That's right. Do you like polls? Uh huh. You see where this is going, right, kids? Three sheets to the wind with all this bourbon that Smashfly sent me. Yeah, I've been up for about thirty minutes and I've done about eight shots with the internet going down here in Indiana. Mm-hmm. So I'm ready to go. If you don't know who we are. Uh, I am Cheese. He is Chad. We are the Chad and Cheese podcast. Uh, you can find us at chadcheese.com or wherever you like to listen to your podcast. We cover the industry. Uh, we interview the uh, the thought leaders and the experts and the CEOs, um, and uh, we certainly like it. And they liked it enough to bring us on to transform. Yeah, yeah. just so that sets the tone for the discussion, <laughs> kids. And let let me set let let me set it up a little bit here. We were on stage back when we could actually travel to live events uh, earlier this year in Banff, Alberta, Canada, leading a discussion around marketing's blind spots. Uh, that that's you, by the way, town acquisition, employer brand, HR. You are marketing's blind spot. We had Bill Neff, VP of marketing from Yeti. On this stage, we had Tyler Weeks, head of HR data science at Intel and saving the best for last always, Alin Bailey, who is the talent acquisition transformation leader at Intel as well. We, um, we had the CMOs and the brand leaders from some of the biggest brands in the world, and we were talking about their blind spot. Their first blind spot, Joel did an incredible job talking about the application process. The, the gasps that were in the crowd from marketing execs were pretty loud. Yeah, sorry, I, I need to take a drink on you saying that I did a good job. That's such a rare compliment. But yes, what I did uh, for, the, for the session is, I actually went out and I, I applied to a job at Yeti. Um, for those of you who know Yeti, which is probably most of you, you know that their brand is, it's fun, it's adventurous, it's outgoing, it's a little bit brash and dangerous. 
Um, needless to say, the uh, apply process was none of those things. Yeah. So overall, they really gasped when they heard that Intel receives about 1 million resumes a year and uh, over 2 million visits to their career site, ending in this thing we call in talent acquisition, the black hole, which is really for all intents and purposes, we're paying hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to be able to pull a bunch of candidates into a database that we let, we let atrophy. So uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing from that standpoint, because believe it or not, you know that marketing execs and, and people in marketing, they've applied for a job once before. Bill Neff even said that he did, and they felt it excruciating. But we had a special guest in the audience at that time. He is actually the co-founder of the Gathering of Cult Brands, the Cult Collective, and Communo. That is our friend, Chris Nealon. Chris Nealon. Can we bring him on the show? There he is. Look at that lovely head of hair. That's beautiful. Hey, Chris, All right, Chris. I'm just curious. As a Canadian, do you feel like do you no, feel like you live in the apartment above a meth lab? Um, first of all, I'm not Canadian. I'm I'm a proud Texan that is has found myself living in Canada for the past ten years. And if you were to pick ten years to go on a on a walkabout in another country, this has been a pretty good time to be away. Yes, I, I would agree 100. percent So we we were talking about you being in the crowd during our presentation, our, our panel discussion in Banff, what were you thinking about as a brand leader as we were starting to talk about the marketing blind spot that was happening? Was this something that was new to you or is this just something that pretty much CMOs and brand execs, they really just don't worry about because they don't think it's important? Yeah, I don't think it's that they don't think it's important. I think it's a little bit out of sight, out of mind. I think blind spot is a perfect metaphor for it. Uh, you don't really think about it until you almost crash into something. Um, Lynn, Lynn said something in that meeting that I still think about as I drift off to sleep, which was... 60% of applicants who have a negative experience adjust their buying behavior or shopping behavior as a result of the way they were treated in the HR process. And uh, and I don't even know if 60% was the right number, but uh, some large percentage of people were not only upset that they didn't get the job, it's they would stop buying from that company as a result. And if that is a true statistic, then that's something that uh, you know should be a, a run up the flagpole immediately within every organization. How important, Chris, do you believe it is for organizations to carry the message of what their consumer product is into the application process? Well, you know, we've chatted offline, guys, about um, it is one brand. It's not a commercial brand and a, uh, a an employer brand. There is one way that people expect to interact with Nike or with Starbucks or with Ford Motor, Ford Motor Company. And the more inconsistent those expectations are. If you're, um, you know, I, I remember when we were doing some work with Gatorade and they were trying to elevate the the brand uh, to become even more sports centric versus just kind of being a colored flavorful drink for thirsty people. And it was all about the embracing of the athlete. And even so much that they were not only looking for MBAs, they were looking for MBA students who played collegiate sport. And so the, the HR strategy was perfectly aligned with where the brand was trying to be elevated uh, in the marketplace. And 
I, I think unfortunately we have people that are diluting themselves because HR doesn't know how to build an employer brand, nor should they. And the marketing team is only focused on the external brand, not the internal one. So we're talking about some trauma that's happening here, right? I mean, we're brand trauma. Whether we're losing customers or we're actually losing candidates who are, really could be amazing talent down the road that are never going to come back to visit your brand. What kind of trauma do you think a CMO sees that? And how could talent acquisition work with marketing to, to try to alleviate that trauma? Yeah, I just don't see many CMOs having this conversation. And um, I don't know what's easier, uh, training the CEO to ask the right questions or training the CMO to return the phone calls of the talent acquisition and HR people who should be beating down their door saying that there's a gigantic missed opportunity here. It's uh, I don't know that they think of it as trauma. I think it at best, maybe they think of it as a, a missed opportunity. Um, so whether we lead with opportunity or with fear, you know, different strokes for different folks, but it's, it's certainly, I, I think, inappropriate for any business that's trying to live up to its full potential. So you just said CMO and our CEO, and I think if a CEO knew that this kind of impact was happening to the brand and prospectively, negatively impacting the actual bottom line, what, what kind of conversation do you think they would have with HR or marketing? Yeah, I think, I think they would start by going to HR and asking for them to step up. Now, a very good um, retort to that would be, well, then give me more people and more money to do so, because I don't think the HR departments are exactly in a way to capitalize on the opportunity. But, you know, I think the other thing happening here to be sensitive to is that CMOs are having their own little crisis. Uh, they're, they're, the whole craft of marketing has sort of devolved into what I call mark downing. Marketing has become overly uh, prioritizing. Marketing is overly prioritized advertising and sales. They become communications experts more so than value creation experts. So it's not like everything is rosy in the CMO office and now we can add one more thing to their plate. So I think as a CEO, you have to decide if people, if our people are going to become a core part of our competitive advantage and a core part of our brand delivery, who is the most qualified person in the company to do that? It might be um, elevating the role of the CMO, it might be elevating the role of the uh, HR professional, or it might be the creation of a third role, sometimes known as a chief experience officer, uh, where they're now thinking a little bit more holistically about all of the touch points, not just the advertising, or in the case of HR, HR, I think it's relegated a very administrative compliance sort of uh, roles, not engagement, uh, you know, marketing roles. So I think all of these in, uh, disciplines and departments have an opportunity to step up and to think differently about their job description. Getting on that vibe, part of the reason that we got involved with the cold gathering, uh, Chad and I, was to bring, be a bridge, if you will, between marketing and recruiting. And one of my questions, obviously, is if you're talking to an HR person, a talent acquisition person, what sort of ammunition should they have to start a conversation with marketing? And part of, part of this could be a timing issue where dealing with COVID-19, a lot of ads today talk about how we're treating our workers, how we're taking care of everyone. Uh, it seems like now would be a better time than any for talent and acquisition and marketing to get together. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree. I hope that one of the positive things coming out of the COVID crisis is a complete reimagining of the work environment 
whether that's allowing remote workers, whether that's thinking differently about the office space, whether that's thinking differently about the blend between full-time versus contingent, and then certainly the, the, the opportunity to integrate HR and marketing uh, more closely, I, it, you know, I just, uh, you look at kind of what's happening with Amazon right now or Nike right now as they're trying to align the external perceptions of their brand with some of the internal realities of, uh, of whether it's diversity or labor practices or uh, just, uh, you know, being a great place that people actually want to work. Um, as a preface to this, I mean, the reason why we got into internal engagement and a talent acquisition was with our work with Zappos and to realize that one of the symptoms of their brand adoration was the volume of unsolicited resumes that they were receiving, which was 25,000 resumes for 200 positions. And then we looked at Airbnb the same way. We looked at Converse, the same thing. So we started finding some trends about brands that were truly beloved, didn't just have customers that wanted to buy from them. It had talent that were begging to work for them. And so one of the symptoms that your you know, listeners of Transform can do is just do a very simple, what is the application to uh, job ratio? And if you're getting 10 or 20 applicants per job, your, your brand is not doing any of the heavy lifting that it should be doing that would inspire people to want to come to work with you. And then once you start getting hundreds or even thousands of applicants per job, then you can start looking at wages and start figuring. I remember we're doing a project with Target and Target was actually paying 20% less than, uh, than other retailers in the Minneapolis area because of the aspiration that people had to just want to work at or for or target. So there's a lot of other HR benefits that come from having a brand that people, you know, sort of salivate over. And start that second poll. I'm going to talk through it. Chris, we spoke with Jay Anderson, who's a SVP of brand marketing over at Cadillac Fairview. And his response to working with uh, very closely with, with HR and talent acquisition was, I quote, the reality is that marketing's budget is bigger than an HR budget. So we, in brand marketing are not going to let 10, 20 or $50,000 get in the way of a great idea. So, you know, looking at that poll question, people, are we talking to marketing about support? Are we getting that close or are we just trying to stay out of their way? Do we have a poll back yet? All right. It's, it's a real time poll. So this is exciting. Uh, so are you freaking kidding me? Is it 40%? Uh, wait, I can ask marketing for money. 36%. That's a tie right now. Uh, sh I'm hiding right now is 14. And oh, uh, are you kidding me? It, it keeps moving. But are you freaking kidding tends to be at the top of the list consistently. Yeah, which is amazing. Because again, when we talk to these enlightened brand leaders, again, like like uh, Jay Anderson, uh, over at Cadillac Fairview, or we talked to uh, Douglas Atkin, who was at Airbnb and built that brand up. This was something for them that just made sense. And they worked very closely with the people on the ground who were the people people. Chris, why I guess from the standpoint, don't we see more of this? And this is not just a money conversation, right? There's there's support that can be had here. Yeah, that last point first. I mean, asking the, the CMO for a check might not be the best place to start. You might ask for some 
talent. Can you brief your agency on maybe polishing off our job descriptions? Can you give me your e-commerce group to help build an online applicant portal? Uh, can I work with some of your creative uh, directors to ideate the first 90 days of an employee onboarding experience? So, you know, marketing doesn't just have dollars. They have uh, creative problem solvers and digital talent and writers and designers. And sometimes some, you know, maybe all the HR team needs is a better career fair booth that doesn't blend into the noise of everybody else's 10 by 10. So I would start by asking for some help by stroking their ego. Hey, your team or your agencies are amazing at making our brand sing. Can you apply some of that magic juice over here to the things that I'm working on? Uh, but the other thing to help your CMO understand is he doesn't have a media budget. The CMO has a brand budget and he makes decisions or she makes decisions about what to spend that budget on that frequently includes things like media. And so they start to get very defensive about, well, I need all that money for these things. It's like, no, no, you need that money to build the brand. You need that money to boost our profit. You need that money to attract more customers. If we've decided the best way to get more customers is to improve our sales force or our call center agents or our frontline associates, then isn't that a better use of achieving the same end? So, um, you know, I think the CMOs sometimes get a little bit distracted about what their job really is. It's not to spend all the mon media money on media. If you can spend less money on media or less money on markdowns, instead of being 50% off, what if we're 40% off and we save that 10 percentage points and put it into an employee retention program? Uh, I think they can be far more open-minded about what the real intentions of those dollars were for to begin with, because it's all discretionary. And I, don't, I haven't met a, a CEO yet who feels good about the amount of money they're spending on media and markdowns. They just don't think that there's any other alternative. So if the HR team can start providing a better alternative for that money, I'm pretty sure it would be happily redeployed. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. Building a cult brand is not easy, which is why you need friends like Rupesh Nair, CEO of Symphony Talent on your side. Okay, Rupesh, hiring companies can't hire diverse candidates if diverse candidates aren't applying for their jobs. What should hiring companies do differently to attract a more diverse candidate? So for diversity specifically, companies should think about why do they want diversity in their organization and ensure that they are bringing that into the conversations about hiring diverse candidates, because that's how they can be genuine about diversity, because just checking a box saying, I want to be hiring diverse candidates is not going to help. So the first thing is thinking about why do you want diversity? What are the different groups you're targeting as you think about diversity? And then bringing those messages, which basically is going to resonate to that particular group of diverse candidates into your engagement, whether it is kind of as you reach out in the mass media and target specific diverse groups, as you basically nurture these diverse groups once they have connection with you is very important. Because to your point, you won't get a diverse candidate till you get in front of a candidate. And the only way you can do that is by figuring out what is the connection point between you and the diverse candidate. And it is very, very easy to kind of cast a net saying, I want diverse candidate. But the truth is there are many, many groups of that diverse candidate and you need to be really clear on who exactly are you targeting. Let Symphony Talent help activate your brand and keep relationships at the heart of your talent strategy. For more information, visit 
symphonytalent.com. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey, Chris, uh, uh, Douglas Atkins name uh, was, was uh, thrown out there by Chad, uh, a guy that we love. We've interviewed a bunch of times and I want to make my next question a little bit timely with the work from home movement. It seems like in an era when all the employees are working from their own little, you know, island work at, you know, home office or wherever it is, that culture is going to be hard to come by. Um, and, and Douglas talks a lot about getting employees together, rubbing them together and making them sticky, uh, which creates a, a, an internal culture. We're talking about, you know, HR and marketing getting together in an office. How do we do it when they're at, at, at an at-home office? I mean, how much more difficult is this going to be if everyone's, you know, at home now? I do think that there needs to be a level of trust and there needs to be an alignment of what we're trying to do. We're not trying to build our kingdoms. We're not trying to defend our turf. We're not trying to say my discipline's more important than your discipline. We're trying to say in order to get the company's goals uh, you know, in order to achieve our goals, advance our goals, we need to be more creative in our problem solving. I, one of the things that I would suggest that we're going to toy with, Joel, for our team is, hey, work from home. We're not going to take all of the money that we're now saving on office space and put it to the bottom line. We're going to take some of that money and put it into other internal engagement initiatives. For example, we do a week-long trip every year to Mexico to do some uh, third-world country humanitarian work. You want to talk about building relationships of trust. You get people out in the heat, away from their families, you know, serving people in need, and you start to form real relationships. We're talking about getting together every Friday on a patio someplace and uh, doing a big team outing and using some of the funds to make sure that there's a weekly uh, meal and uh, an ability to congregate and is there more bonding that actually happens in the unstructured environment of a, of a lunch versus the the confines of a meeting with a set agenda and we also are doing little get-togethers doing socially distanced walks so one-on-ones but not allowed to do it over zoom but go meet at a con- mutually convenient park and uh, and get out and get some exercise and have a conversation that's both personal and professional so it just requires a whole new way to think about it it's not about one is right one one is wrong. We just have all this muscle memory that thought that the way that we're going to get work done is having meetings in boardrooms and in conference rooms. And in reality is there's more, just as if not more effective ways to build meaningful relationships with people. Chris, Chris, I think it's interesting because the, the, it seems like the, the highest poll count was, are you freaking kidding me? Kind of like HR, talent acquisition, employer brand. They don't want to even talk to marketing. When we talked to Bill Neff, who's the VP of brand marketing for Yeti, he said, hey, I'm kind of scared to talk to those HR people. It's almost as if there's this barrier 
that we can't get beyond to be able to create this single, the brand that you're talking about, this single brand has been splintered. How do we, how do we pull that together? I, I hear you go, you know, go serve the community, those types of things, but where does it start and how can somebody in talent acquisition or employer branding start this discussion with marketing coming from a brand leader like yourself? Yeah, I think most of the brand leaders that we associate with would view HR sort of like the legal department. Um, They're more focused on compliance. They're more uh, prone to introduce barriers. They're, They're more quick to say no than to say yes. They lack some of the creativity that I think the marketing team thrives off of. So there is there is an opportunity, I think, to reposition what is the role of the HR professional or the talent and how are they not so task centric or you know all about risk mitigation, but they're about you know building something that's irresistible to customers and to staff. And if they start using each other's language, if they start to understand each other's working styles, um, and you know, I think sometimes HR feels that way because they're overworked and underpaid. You know, they're they're burdened. Like they have to hire ten new people this month, and it's just about checking the boxes and moving forward. They're not oftentimes raising their head up to realize that what they're investing in and what they're building are the people that are going to create the brand equity that's going to manifest itself on the balance sheet and you know, in the form of tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. So, uh, you know, in addition to the revenue. Avenue, there is a brand and that brand needs to be managed and both the CMO and the head of people need to re- you know, really recognize their role in it and maybe together partner up to help the rest of the C-suite. Because I mean, if these guys haven't gotten it right, I guarantee you the CFO hasn't gotten it right. And sometimes the COO is a bit clueless. And unfortunately, oftentimes the CEO is a bit clueless about what the real potential is. So there might need to be a bit of a groundswell or a bit of a mutiny where HR and and marketing work together to paint a picture of what's truly possible. Well, I think the conversation right now is more shock therapy than it is anything else. Like we talked to, again, the brand leaders in Banff at the gathering of cult brands, it was shock therapy. I, I feel like there's probably the same thing happening right now. This is not the the end of the conversation. I believe this is purely the beginning. So uh, I think we're we're pretty much at that time. Is that what I'm hearing, Joel? Or do we have one time for one more question? We have two minutes. Uh, we could do a poll, or I could. I have one question. I guess I could throw out. So Chris, you're obviously familiar with the George Floyd uh, incident here in the states uh, with the police officer killing uh, a civilian. Part of that problem seems to me is recruiting the right people to be policemen and women. If you were, if you had the marketing unlimited budget in the U.S. to fix recruiting for police in this country, what would you do? Wow, what a doozy to hit me with! A minute, minute and thirty half. left on the on the clock. <laughs> you know, I, I saw something recently from Brene Brown that I really she, and she she came to the gathering two years ago and got to know her a little bit. I think I like not just what she says, but how she says it. It has a certain tone and delivery that is intended to not be off-putting so that people don't instantly put their guard up. But you know, this idea of it's not about the people, it's about the system. And uh, we kind of reap what we sow here. We, when we create systems that then become systemic, we can't get shocked when they, we, you know, we're simply uh, reaping what we sowed. So I think it's, you know, the, the, the police force issues are beyond just HR or marketing. 
Uh, I think it's about helping us understand the role of a 21st century police force and what's possible uh, beyond just uh, you know uh, enforcement and uh, and um, you know punishing. Uh, they're not the punishing arm of the United States. They should be an enabling arm that uh, that protects and serves. And sometimes we overemphasize the protect part and underemphasize the serve part. So uh, I think that there that would be the project of a lifetime to kind of work on the rebranding of the police force. And it is a project that could be done. NASA comes to mind as a brand that had to get rebranded. And uh, and yeah. uh, good things can happen when you sort of reimagine from the top versus some of the micro issues you focus on the macro. Well, it looks like we're out of time. Chris, for who wants to follow you and get more insight into marketing, where do you go? Uh, you could uh, follow Chris Nealon on LinkedIn for a daily rant against the machine or uh, go to cultideas.com as our website to learn more about how we're trying to encourage brand leaders and C-suites to elevate the role of talent management uh, in their organizations. Awesome. And I will add that if you Beautiful. don't have the cult gathering on your uh, conference must go to list, it should be. Uh, I am Cheese. He is Chad. We are the Chad and Cheese podcast. Find more out about us at chadcheese.com. Thank you, Transformers. It's been a blast. Cheers. We out. Hey, guys, before we take off. Uh, got a question that came in from the audience and I'm going to throw it to Chris first. Basically yep. what they want to know is most marketing departments, when you go as a TA leader to ask for help, they have this overbalance of, well, we got to do all this stuff for customers. And then how do we stick in or how do we jam in a little bit of employment branding? What should be the right mix if marketing and TA are working together on the social channels? So you think of like the LinkedIn's and the Twitter's and the IG and all this other stuff. How much should be customer-based? How much should be employment branding-based? Is it a 90-10, 80-20? What is that? Well, it's, like? it's too situational. I mean, the, 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 the talent person that needs to hire 10 people a year versus Intel that needed to hire 1,000 people a year, I think would dictate the number of resources or the blend. But uh, I think the short answer is it should be substantially more weighted to HR than it is today, whether that's you know, 30, 40, 50% more. Uh, I think until you get the marketing leader to understand that he's not doing his TR, TA or HR professional a favor, that this is foundational to the brand that he's or she is trying to build. Therefore, it should be resourced and time allocated appropriately as a core initiative, not something that you do off the side of the desk the way they might think about, you know, planning the holiday Christmas party as a favor they're doing for somebody. It's, it's a, there's a completely two different uh, paradigms and opportunities to add value. All right. Thanks. Thank you guys, Chad and Cheese, Chris Nealon. This has been the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. And be sure to check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Oh yeah, you're welcome. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? 
that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.